but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, if you'll join me now in taking your copy of God's Word, and we will turn together to our passage for this morning and for hopefully our week ahead as well. We find that in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. We'll take our copies of God's Word and we turn to Acts 10, 1 through 8. By this point in the book of Acts, there is no shadow of a doubt that God is at work. He's at work in and through the church. And it begins right there in the beginning of Acts with the Lord sending the Holy Spirit at Pentecost down upon those disciples gathered in the upper room and, and, and birthing the church right there. And, and immediately, what do they do? They go out and they begin to share the gospel, but they're able to do so in known human tongues and languages, not known to those disciples who have been gathered, but it was known to nationalities that were gathered there, and the disciples, through the work of God and His Holy Spirit, was able to share the gospel with thousands of people. And we move on, and we see how the Spirit continues to work and move through the, the reading and preaching and teaching of God's Word. As we get further and further to Acts, there is less and less any shred of a doubt that God is at work through the church. It is growing. It is growing numerically. More importantly, it's growing spiritually. And these people are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're being saved by thousands. There are baptisms, there's miracles, there's miraculous healings. That the church is spreading out from Jerusalem to the surrounding area. God is at work and the church is growing. And that brings us to our passage this morning where we're going to find a turning point. And after, after we get through this passage, really the next two chapters, things will, in a sense, never be same for the church again. God is using this time as a turning point to change His church, to change the makeup of the church, even, in a sense, to change the scope of the church. This is a turning point from which everything else will change within the church. We'll find that for us in Acts 10, 1 through 8 this morning. Let me pray for us as we come together this time in his word. Lord, we come to you now and we're so thankful that you are at work. You have always been at work in and through your church. We pray, Lord, you be at work this morning. I am just a, a, a poor, stammering, poor excuse of a servant. But you, O oh Lord, you can speak through Balaam's donkey and you can speak through me. Pray, O oh Lord, that all my words are for your glory. And I pray, O oh Lord, that the people here this morning will only hear your truth, will only be comforted by your truth, be challenged by your truth, be convicted by your truth, and be changed because of your truth. Work in us, O oh Lord, for your glory. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 10, 1 through 8. And we will stand together now for the reading of God's word. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers. And your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner 
whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his, of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him and had related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. We don't usually like being the person who's on the outside looking in on something. We don't usually like that. We usually don't like that that perspective of wanting to be involved with a, a group or organization, whatever it may be. We don't like to be the ones on the outside looking in, wishing we could be a part of it, wishing that we would be uh, incorporated and involved and fully included in it. It's not always easy, it's not always enjoyable to be on the outside looking in. You may not be familiar with the name Pete Best, but you're probably unknowingly somewhat familiar with his history of being the one on the outside looking in. Because Pete Best was the original drummer for the Beatles. Along with John, Paul, and George, Pete helped form the Beatles in Liverpool, England. He was there with them from the beginning up to the early days playing around Liverpool, uh, playing at the Cavern Club, and going to Hamburg, Germany, and doing the marathon shows there. Pete Best was there for all that. He was the one keeping beat for the original Fab Four. And right when they were going to the studio, they began to make their hit records, such as Love, Love Me Do, and I Want to Hold Your Hand. Right before they were on that precipice of, free, of, of fame, Pete was dismissed from the band, was fired, so they could eventually bring in Ringo Starr, and the rest is history. So for the rest of his life, Pete Best, sometimes known as the fifth Beatle, the original drummer, was the one who was on the outside looking in. Now can you imagine that for him? So he sat there in Liverpool and watched the Beatles gain this untold amount of fame and riches and influence. There he sits as the, on, the, on the outside looking in. Now just a footnote to the history of the Beatles. Pete Best is one of those big examples of what it's like to be on the outside looking in. And we know that's a hard position to be in. Very rarely do we want to be that one who's on the outside looking in. We want to be a part of something. But you're not allowed to, for whatever reason it may be, maybe good reasons, not bad reasons, whatever reason it is, you're not allowed to be fully involved. You can't reap all the benefits. You can't be involved in all the good things of what it means to be fully included in this. You're only allowed a glimpse. You're only allowed a moment, a, a sliver of inclusion, and that's it. There's, a, there's nothing more than a brief moment on the shadow. So here you are on the outside looking in. You never have the full realization of what it means to be fully involved, integrated, and included. It's not a good position to be in. This morning, Luke introduces us to a man who's going through the same thing. He's on the outside. He's looking in. He's not allowed to be fully involved. But with this, the Lord is going to use as a turning point for his, for, the, for his church. So that folks like this man will no longer be on the outside looking in. Folks like this man will soon be on the inside with all the blessings and the goodness that comes with it. And it comes from the story of a man named Cornelius. We're introduced to Cornelius in verses 1 and 2 where Luke tells us at Caesarea... There's a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man 
who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Geographically now, Luke has moved us away from the seaport of Joppa, where God through Peter has raised Tabitha back to life. He's moved us up the coast to Caesarea, which is another seaport town, but this one lies about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And Caesarea served as the provincial capital from which Rome governed Judea. And in this town, we find a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius, his profession is he is a Roman centurion. Now, for some of us, that profession may ring a bell. We've heard this term centurion before. We go back to the Gospel of Matthew and find it was a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus, asking Jesus to heal his servant who is paralyzed and under terrible pain and distress, so much so that he can't come to Jesus himself. And what does Jesus do? He graciously heals his servant because of the faith of the centurion. Another bell may ring our head and we may think of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Suffering on the cross and there to end we're told about a Roman centurion who, who takes this all in, sees all the suffering and then finds the death of Jesus and he's only left with one conclusion. Surely this man was the son of God. In God's providence there have been Roman centurions who God has brought to saving faith. And here, in the narrative of the birth and growth of the early church, we find another centurion with this testimony. His name is Cornelius. Cornelius was a professional soldier. He worked his way up from the, through the ranks to be a centurion. He said, he's told he's now over the Italian cohort, which would have been about 80 to 100 soldiers. His responsibilities were roughly equivalent to those of a modern captain in the military. This is a man of discipline. This is a man trained for warfare. This is a man who has seen suffering and death. This is a professional soldier. But that's not Luke's emphasis here. Luke gives us these details so he can quickly move on to the point. This Cornelius, this centurion, was a devout man who feared God. Feared God all his household gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. This Roman soldier, this Gentile, was a devout, God-fearing man. He prayed. He gave to the poor. He told his household all about God. On the outside looking in, Cornelius is a picture of devotion. He's a picture of what it means to be a devout man. But there's something important going on here that we need to understand Luke has in this description. As he's describing Cornelius, Luke is indicating that Cornelius is only partly converted to Judaism. He's a Gentile who worships the one true God, but he hasn't gone through the whole program, so to speak. He hasn't been circumcised. He doesn't follow the dietary laws. Gentiles who feared God were drawn to Israel's monotheistic faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They were drawn to that. They were drawn to the law and to the ethical norms that came from law, but they would not submit to all of Israel's ceremonial distinctives. They wouldn't submit to circumcision. They wouldn't submit to the diet. They wouldn't follow the Jewish festival calendar. So what Luke is telling us here is that Cornelius is almost a Jew. He's almost there, but he's not all the way. So he is on the outside looking in. He's faithful, he's devout, but he's not fully included into that worshiping community. He's never to be a full-fledged member of those folks. He is on the outside 
looking in. But what Luke is setting up here is that for Cornelius to have full inclusion doesn't mean full submission to Judaism. To go through those other acts. What he wasn't missing, or what he was missing wasn't full, uh, full submission to, to Judaism. What he was missing was Jesus. The missing ingredient wasn't more rules. It wasn't more obligations. It wasn't more of, of, of going through the program. What Cornelius was missing was he was missing Jesus. He had all the obedience down. Luke tells us he's a devout man. Tells his whole household about God. He, 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 he prays. He gives to the poor. He's a disciplined professional soldier. He has this obedience down. What he needed wasn't more obedience. What you needed wasn't more rules. What you needed was Jesus. Cornelius needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can understand that obedience is to come from a saved heart. And obedience is to be for the glory of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Cornelius had all the externals correct. It was the internal. It was the heart that now needed attention. We're going to talk more about this as we, as we get into the, further into this. Part of the turning point here is the turning point of the administration, of, of, of the old administration of the covenant now to the new administration of the covenant. And what Luke has explained to us is that Cornelius was faithful under the old administration of the covenant. Of the covenant. That, that old administration where you were looking forward to Jesus. But the new administration of the covenant of grace has come. It has come in Jesus Christ. And it shows that Cornelius needs something. He needs Jesus. He needs a Savior. He needs to live a life not out of mere obedience, but to live a life out of love for Jesus and for his grace and for his mercy. Cornelius needs Jesus. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch needed Jesus. Just like all those thousands at Pentecost and onward, needed Jesus. He was just like everyone else, Jew and Gentile. He needed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I think there's a, there's a correlation, I think there's a parallel to the church. There are those who are good at playing Christian. Go to church for the most part. Say the right things at the right time. Do the right things at the right time. There are people who are good at the externals of Christianity, but there's something missing, and what is missing is Jesus. They still have a heart of stone, and not a God-given heart of flesh, because they have not received and rested upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation, as he's been offered in the Gospels. There are a lot of Cordeliuses in the church, good at the externals, while lacking Jesus Christ. They need Jesus. And maybe that's your condition this morning. Maybe you're here because you're good at playing Christian. But you aren't. You aren't a Christian. You need Jesus. You may have all the, most of the externals down, but it's not the externals that get you into heaven. It's the heart. God looks upon the heart whether or not is given to Jesus. Well, how can you know? How can you know if you are 
or Cornelius or not. Well, I'll offer this one diagnostic question. What's your reason for acting like a Christian? What's your reason for living? We joke that the Sunday school answer is always Jesus, but that's the answer to this, isn't it? If you're living your life for Jesus, if you're doing Christian things because you love Jesus because he first loved you, if you're doing Christian things because you want to follow him because he is your good shepherd, that, that's the good and right answer. That's what we want to do. Not that we'll be perfect, but we want Jesus. We want to love the one who first loved us. We want to follow our good shepherd. We want to trust in one who would be willing to die for our sins. That's the, that's the right answer. But there's any other answer for why you live your life, if there's any other answer for your Christianity, then it may be that you're like Cornelius and you need Jesus. It may be because you have not received and rested upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he's been offered in the gospel. It may be very simply here that you don't need to obey more, you don't need to read your Bible more, you don't need to come to church more, you just need Jesus. It's like the hymn I, I quoted a few weeks ago, Give Me Jesus, which I will not sing for us because it will ruin it for all of us, but if you can hear the Fernando Ortega uh, version, it's wonderful. But it says this, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. When I'm alone, give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. That, that, that's the hymn of a person who loves Jesus. That's the hymn of someone who loves Jesus because he knows Jesus first loved him. And they just want to live for Jesus. For them to live is Christ. It's in this external lacking of Jesus and Cornelius that will set up the turning point for Peter and the church. Cornelius is on temple time, which means in this passage, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. It's the time of prayer. Because he's a devout man, we trust and believe that he's in prayer. And as he's in prayer, an angel comes to him. And as usual, it's, this, it's terrifying to be visited by an angel. And we have this whole thing, thing out in the world of, a, you know, want to be visited by angels, or, or, or was it, what was that show? Highway to Angels, Highway to Heaven, there's anyways. Touched by an angel. Touched by an angel. We're really dating ourselves here. That was last century. All right. Um, make it out to be like this warm, fuzzy, oh, an angel visited me. No, it's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Look what Luke says about Cornelius. He stared at him in terror. Cornelius couldn't even blink, y'all. He's so scared, he can't even blink. But the angel isn't coming to give Cornelius a lifetime supply of nightmares. He's coming with good news. He tells this God-fearing Gentile, God has heard your prayers. And now he has a command. Go and send for Peter. And we find in scripture, these other stories like this, God sent angels to appear to Zechariah and to Mary announcing the conceptions of, of John the Baptist and Jesus. Now he sends his angel to this Gentile who's directing him to an apostolic bearer of the message of salvation. What Cornelius and Peter do not know at this point is that this is a crucial turning point for the, for the Christian church. Everything is getting ready to change and it begins with the Gentile Roman soldier in Caesarea who needs Jesus. Because what's Cornelius do? He obeys. 
He gathers a couple, uh, two of his servants and a, and a faithful, devout soldier, tells them everything, sends them to Joppa to look for disciple Peter. Cornelius hears, he obeys, and what he doesn't realize is there on the horizon is the gospel. And soon coming to him, it's going to be his figure. It's going to get larger and larger and larger. And it's going to be the Apostle Peter who's going to, to share with him the gospel. The gospel is going to land right on his doorstep. And Cornelius will never be on the outside looking in again. Cornelius will be fully integrated into the church. And the significance of this turning point is seen in that Luke gives two whole chapters to it. Chapters 10 and chapter 11 given to this account of Cornelius. And, and, and what is significant is that Cornelius is not a Jew. That this faithful Gentile, it, 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 he's not a Jew, but he's a Gentile. Now why is this significant? Well, go back with me to the Old Testament. Who were God's chosen people? The Jews, the nation of Israel. So God says he chose to set his love on them. That's who God saved beginning in Egypt, bringing them out of Egypt, who he brings to the promised land, who he saves from their enemies. It's God who is at work in them. And part of this is what we call the covenant community, is that Gentiles could come into that community, but they had to come to that community, come to the Jews, and do what was required of them. The Jews didn't go out to them. The, Jew, the, the, the Gentiles had to come to them and make ourselves no longer Gentile, but now Jewish, as best as they could. Then we get to the New Testament. What nationality was Jesus? The Israelites. He was a Jew. What were his 12 disciples? Jews. Where did they minister? In Israel. Who did they mainly minister to? Jews. This church in Acts 10... It's primarily Jewish, with Jewish people, thinking Jewish ways, thinking through the world in, in, in a Jewish mindset. The precedent has been set. The precedent has been settled that the Jews are God's chosen people. And it shows there in the early church. And now this is all getting ready to change. Started with Cornelius and through Peter because now the church is not only going to be open to Gentiles, now the church is going to go out to the Gentiles. Let's back up. We were introduced to a man named Saul who ultimately becomes who? Paul. What was Paul's ministry? He was a missionary to the Gentiles. God in part saves Saul to send him as a missionary to the Gentiles. The church is now going out to include the Gentiles. It will no longer be majority Jewish. It will be Jews and Gentiles, both needing Jesus, both called to live for God's glory. The church is getting ready to be Gentilized, if that's a word. If not, I just made it up. We'll, we'll get in the dictionary eventually. It's all getting ready to change. But the thing of it is, this isn't a surprise. The seed has been planted all along. Think back to the Great Commission where did Jesus tell his disciples to go? Go and make disciples of what? All nations. Not just the Jewish nations. Not just the Jewish people. Not just those who share your last name. Go and make disciples of all nations. In Acts 1.8, his commission to his apostles is for them to be witnesses to the end of the earth. Not just to the Jews. 
Not just Israel, but to the end of the earth, all the earth. The thing about Pentecost in Jerusalem, was it just Jews who heard the gospel on that day? No, we're given a list of people. There are Gentiles in there. It was always God's intention that Gentiles would be saved and included in the covenant community church. And that time has now come with Cornelius and Peter. God's desire to bring into the kingdom people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. We see in Revelation 5, 9, this desire is being fulfilled here. Because here coming to Cornelius is Peter. He's going to share the gospel with Cornelius and other Gentiles, and they will believe and they will become a part of the church. Our passage next week details a vision uh, given to Peter to help him understand that all this is going get ready to change. It is a turning point. There's a turning point we'll see Peter and others struggle with. It's hard for them to understand that they're now called to be spiritual brothers and sisters with Gentiles. Go back to the Old Testament. The, the Gentiles were seen as unclean people, not because they didn't take showers, uh, but because they, they were spiritually unclean. And, they were, and, and the Israelites told like, you're not supposed to be like them. You're supposed to be God's chosen people. You're supposed to, to live like this. This is why they had rules and regulations so they would not be spiritually dirty and unclean like those Gentiles. Now what's God saying? Now they're coming into the church. Those that you set, we've set aside has come into the church. It's a turning point. And Peter, along with others, are going to struggle with it. And we can imagine what they're thinking. But they're not like us. They're different from us. They, they do different things. And we, we don't need to be like them. We don't need them in our church. And they're getting to learn a hard lesson. God's desire to bring into the kingdom people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, which means the gospel's for everyone. <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah for all his people. Jesus has come for his people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Think about what we teach our children to, to, to sing from a little age. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, the white, the white ARPs. Jesus loves the little children, all the little children. No, we don't sing them. We don't teach them to sing that, do we? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's the church. And that turning point for that is happening here. Well, what's that mean for us? What well, means this? From before time, God chose you in love. Chose to love you, to adopt you, to bring you to his family. And he intended for you to be in his church. Looking around this morning, I believe I see a bunch of Gentiles. If you have any Jewish in you, I'm sorry, I don't see it. My wife is quarter Jewish. I didn't realize that until about a year into our marriage. So I'm not very good at seeing Jewish heritage in other people. So if you have Jewish heritage and I missed it this morning, I apologize. But as I look around, I see a bunch of Gentiles. And where are we? We're in the sanctuary of the living God. And who are we? We're the church. We haven't been set aside. We haven't been cut off. The church is wide open to us. God's covenant community is open to all who believe 
that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Faith in Jesus now means that Abraham is now our spiritual father. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's praise the Lord. Everybody raise their right arm. Alright, good. Most of you are frozen chosen. Most of you raise your right arm. Good for you. That's truly Father Abraham for you. That turning point was 2,000 years ago. And we can now be a part of this covenant community. The only regulation for us is circumcision of the heart. As Paul says, circumcision of the heart, not of flesh. That we are now set apart through faith in Jesus. That we trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we love him and obey him. And we all need Jesus. He has saved his people and called us into his church, into his covenant community. That turning point, starting here at Cornelius, still brings grace and mercy to people like us to this very day. Because the church of Jesus Christ is open to all who believe, not just the Jews. And I would say this one final thing. When we understand that, we understand that grace and mercy, then we understand that we are called to be a Christian Cornelius. Then we under, when we believe in the gospel, we trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, then we'll have this hunger for God's word, a willingness to obey, and, 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 and being disciplined in our walk. And we're called to this because the Father sent his Son for us so we can be in this covenant community, we can be in the family of God, where we understand more the lavishness of his love, the blessings of his grace, and the wonder of growing to be more like Jesus so we know we're in this covenant community where we're growing to love Jesus more and more, to love his word more and more, and to follow after him more and more. Because we are no longer on the outside looking in. We're not on the outside looking in going, I wish I could be like them. Through Jesus, we now can be like them. Those who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who trust him and obey him. Those who know him as their good shepherd who knows him as their elder brother, as the one who saved them from hell and put them on the path of righteousness for his glory. We have the benefits of the blessings of being in this covenant community because Jesus first loved us and we loved him in response. It's Jesus who takes us from the outside and brings us in. And we are eternally blessed for that. So to spend the next few weeks looking more and more at this turning point, may we be thankful for it and what it means to us that so that our, our faith and our love of Jesus will grow more and more. Let's pray together.